Welcome everyone to Season 2, Episode 13 of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. With me, I have, first of all, as usual, Colin Savage. How are you doing, Colin? I'm good, yeah, yeah. Good win for us last night, so which we're going to talk about. Fantastic, Colin. I'm sure you were happy. Did you see the uh, the 16-year-old scoring for Rochdale against Man United? That was funny, wasn't it? Yes, I did see that. That was. <laughs> um, you do wonder about the underdog in, in these type of games. but <laughs> Underdogs won on penalties, I believe. Yeah, but yeah, they won in the end, yeah. Now, who's that chiming in in the background? Oh my goodness, we've also got Mr. Ray Bubbles from the YouTube channel City Fan TV. How are you doing, Ray? Doing very well, actually. <laughs> Considering I've been up since four, and it's now half past 11, and I've just driven uh, from Manchester to Paris and just rolled in. And as I was trying to unpack the car, I got this uh, phone call uh, to do the podcast. So here I am. <laughs> Fantastic. We have got a man in England. We have got a man in Paris. We've got a man in South Korea. We are global. We are absolutely global. Fantastic, guys. We're going to start off by talking about the game against Preston. I'm just uh, reminding myself of the lineup, young as it was. We had Bravo, Cancelo, Harwood, Bellis, Garcia, Angelino, Foden, Gundogan, Silva, Bernardo Silva, Gabriel Jesus, Sterling. Were you surprised, Colin, that we went for both child centre-backs rather than one with an experienced one beside him? Yes and no, really, um, because we, we don't have much choice, really, do we, if we want to give uh, Otamendi and um, Fernandinho a rest, the two old men. So, in, in one sense, I was surprised that we went with a uh, relatively inexperienced back four. But in another sense, I wasn't because you, know, you, you don't want to lose any game, do you? But I think this, my feeling was this was going to be a very, very tough game. Preston doing really well in the championship and um, they would give us a hard game. And so I was a little bit nervous about the back four when I saw the lineup, but I wouldn't say I was totally shocked. Colin, you were there in the flesh, weren't you? I think Ray and I, I was, would, have, yeah. would have been watching these on the box, but how was the atmosphere? I think we got about 5,000 fans there. Uh, I think we got about 5,500. So we have the whole of the Bill Shankly Cop End, which is at the, the north end of Deepdale. It, it was a full house, so... Yeah, it was uh, the city fans were in good voice, and say five and a half thousand of us. Uh, yeah, it was a good night, and uh... obviously Pep had said that Eric Garcia would be starting against Preston, and I, like you, thought maybe he'll go for someone experienced beside him, maybe give Fernandinho another run out because uh, I, I think Fernandinho is probably the more the best quality defender we've got left uh, with two legs at the moment. He's not crop, but then on the other hand, Eric Garcia and uh, Taylor Howard Bellis have played together for the academy, so. It seemed sensible to let these two guys use that experience of having played together in the first team. And Taylor Howard Bellis looks like looked like he um, he had enough quality when we saw him in the preseason uh, games in um, in China. So it it, it seemed like a, a good idea, to be quite honest. And uh, I thought we might just get another kid starting the game, but I think this is just like a the normal way kind of side pet picks for the Carabao Cup, mostly first team squad players, maybe two or three kids, similar lineup last night. Very, very interesting lineup there, Colin. Not only Harwood Bellis and Garcia, but Phil Foden, uh, that everyone has been clamouring for. Yeah. Were you impressed? Yeah, I think he hadn't been he hadn't been well actually, and it did show in the first half where he was uh, a little bit off the pace. But I think the interesting thing about the lineup was, you know, we, we've got those two, you know, there were the three. Uh, youngsters Garcia, Howard Bellis, and Angelino at the back. Apart from Foden, and you can't really say Foden's. You know, Foden now he's a, a an established first teamer. I think, even though he doesn't perhaps start that many games, we don't seem to be as well served at the top end of the pitch as we are at the back end of the pitch, do we? Mm, with youngsters, you mean? 
Yeah, yeah, that's true. Nonetheless, um, how were your feelings about that first half? Ray, what was your feeling as you were watching the game unfold? I said last night after the first goal, you just thought this this is going to be it. I think Preston, I mean, they're third in the championship, so you'd expect them to uh, offer something, especially going forward. I think from the Preston fans and uh, I'd spoken to in the previews I was doing, they were expecting some of their strikers, attacking players, to uh, cause some trouble, um, as as they've done pretty well in the championship so far this season. And as the the game unfolded, it, it, it's it was one of them. We were creating half chances. Uh, Preston created, if you can say, quarter chances. It's the usual thing. Same thing for the last few seasons. It felt like it was just a matter of time if we could. Uh, Put one of our uh, half chances away. And lots of, uh, well, several dangerous crosses we'd put in. Uh, people like Angelino uh, putting nice crosses in. Um, it was just, I felt it was just a matter of time before our class uh, told. And uh, Colin Savage, it was on the 19th minute when that uh, first did happen. Raheem Sterling, and he was, of course, omitted from the uh, goal festival at Watford, but he was uh, he was the one that got us off the mark in this game. Yeah, I mean, we, we'd have a difficult time up to then, to be honest. Preston had given as good as they got, and um, they had a few now, particularly nice interchange passing interplay moves down our left-hand side, their right. Uh, they put a couple of crosses across. But then um, it, I, I think that you, you always expect that in a game like that. that the, the home team, the underdog, will come out for 15, 20 minutes and really be pumped up and full of adrenaline. I think, sure enough, it was the 19th minute, wasn't it, when Garcia, I think it was, played the ball up to Sterling, who was just inside the Preston half. He held off the Preston defender, you know, for a little guy. And, and Preston number two was a big lad. Sterling held him off. To be fair to the guy, he chased Sterling all the way, but Sterling shrugged him off again. Sterling got into the air and it looked like he'd blown the chance. Uh, it, it looked like the kind of indecisive Sterling of old. But he just co- took a couple of paces to his right, created himself a bit of space, and he got a shot away. And it wasn't exactly a screamer, but the goalkeeper, Ripley, had, had committed himself and he was down on the floor and the ball hit the leg, the leg of the Preston defender and kind of just went uh, looped up an, enough to uh, to clear the goalkeeper into the back of the net. Yeah, it looked great from where we were stood behind it. So uh, all the credit to Sterling there. Absolutely fantastic. He played like his life depended on it. It was like he's playing like it was a Champions League final, not a um, Carabao Cup third round game. That's right, Ray. And it was uh, only six minutes later that Raheem set up Gabby J for the second one. Yeah, he passed it to Jesus out on the left, who slips it under the keeper. I mean, Raheem, he started that game with that that big uh, burly defender Fisher for for Preston. And Raheem had him on tour several times. Early in the game, I think after the second minute, uh, he clattered into Sterling. I thought that maybe that deserved a, a yellow card. Yeah, Mason I the same, yeah. Kept, kept his cards in his pocket. I, I really do hate, and I'll use that word strongly, referees who won't give cards early in a game because it's too early. A yellow card offence is a yellow card offence, whether it's in the first minute or the 95th minute. It's uh, lack, what, what would you call it? Lack of courage. Uh, for uh, referees to make big decisions and big calls like that early in the game. Um, but Sterling, as I said, had him on toast. And uh, once it was 2-0, once that, as I said, passed to Jesus, he slipped under the keeper. I actually put him in my notes. It's all over now. Colin Savage, I wonder if you did as I did. And, and when the second goal went in, it sort of shifted the focus on to some of these uh, younger players just to see how they were managing the game. Were you impressed? Uh, yes, I was. Uh, the, the two central defenders were absolutely excellent. I've seen Garcia before. I saw him in the uh, Youth Cup final and he absolutely looked a class above any other player on the field. 
again last night he looked absolutely superb I've no doubts about Garcia at all he's going to be huge for us I think uh, and he's just coming through at the right time you know when um, uh, you know perhaps Otto Mendes in his 30s and we've got you know Fernandinho is our fill-in centre half so you know in a season or two he's going to be ready hopefully to 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 take a, a first team slot and, and be first choice first teamer as well uh, Harwood Bellis was again was really calm and collected under pressure and it was almost he was almost so good you didn't it was a bit kind of Bobby Moore I, I don't want to compare him to Bobby Moore at this stage of his career but his performance reminded me a, a little bit of, of Bobby Moore in that he wasn't one of these guys who threw his body around he was always in the right place in the right time he'd get a foot on the ball he was always calm and, and, and collected and, and in a sense you didn't notice him because he wasn't like a like a Richard Dunn type who was going to throw himself all over the place. Bobby Moore just did, you know, did a calm, cool, quiet job. Harwood Bellis just reminded me of, of that last night. Uh, Angelino, there are doubts about his defensive ability. And I'll be honest, from what, what I saw last night, he did tend to panic a little bit when he was in possession, particularly when the pressure was on. So he, he would hoof it clear, but you, you could say it's better to be safe than sorry and don't try and do anything too clever. Because Preston were actually putting a lot of pressure on down on his side of the pitch, their right, our left. So you, you could certainly say better to be safe than play yourself into trouble in a dangerous area of the pitch. The one area where he did stand out was some of his crossing uh, was absolutely phenomenal. And, and Cancelo, again, he looked very classy, very commanding presence. And, and towards the end, certainly in the second half, he was popping up in the penalty area, you know, when, the, when there wasn't really much danger of us kind of losing the tie. But again, a very quiet, solid performance. Not quite in the sense that you didn't see it, you know, didn't do much, but quiet in the sense that, he, you know, he just did his job very professionally. Ray, how about uh, some of the uh, the senior players that were uh, on show? Were, were any of them particularly prominent for you in that first half? When you look at the ages, uh, senior has to be through experience in playing games because our back four, the average age was 21. After, uh, trying to work that out, 21. Um, and that included uh, Cancelo's, I think, 26. So average age of 21 at the, at the back. Some, it is ridiculous. Bravo, he didn't have really that much to do. Uh, I like the way he commands his area, how he tries to. He'll come out and take high balls. Uh, Mr. Edison should take note. And uh, he'll punch. And he'll, he punched very effectively at the right time um, under pressure. So I was uh, pleased with his performance again. Sterling, as I mentioned earlier, uh, he had Fisher on toast every time he, he went he went near him. Uh, the guy was sweating uh, buckets. Um, so those two. Gabby Jesus, is he a senior player? He's still only 22. Bernardo's still young. You know, this is really difficult. Uh, Gundogan, um, he was fine. I think the senior players were there to help, obviously, the young players through the game. But some of them, especially the defenders, they didn't look like they needed too much help uh, from the older, experienced players. I, I think Gundogan actually did a fant- again another qu- quietly fantastic job. Mm. I think he shielded them very well. And there were a few times where he was in the right place at the right time to cut what could have been a dangerous ball out. So I thought he had a really good game in that number six position, Gundogan. Yeah, I mean, Ray's exactly right, because uh, when when we were thinking about senior players, the senior players weren't actually that very very old at all. Obviously, Bernardo and 
Gabriel Jesus and Sterling, they're all pretty young. So really, it was only if you're talking about seniority in terms of, you know, years, then you've got David Silva, Gundogan uh, and Bravo. Really, everyone else was quite young. Guys, um, just one question I have. I'll, I'll direct this to Colin Savage because it's something that, that I've been asked before and I probably haven't been very good at explaining it. And that is... Uh, when is a goal an own goal and when does it get credited to the striker? I remember we were playing football when we were kids and someone took a shot and deflected off someone else and into the net and we would always scream out, power counts, power counts. I've seen goals being credited on some occasions to the person who had taken the shot and at other times to the defenders that it sometimes came off. Colin, what is your understanding about how a goal gets credited to a person? Because I think that's number three scored on the 42nd minute was uh, given to Ledson of, uh, yeah, of, of well, Preston. I think the, the rule of thumb is if the ball was going in anyway or on target and it gets deflected, it hits a defender, even if it completely wrong foots the goalkeeper, that's still credited to the attacker or, or the scorer. If the ball wasn't going in and gets deflected into the into the net, so uh, and that perfectly highlights that Sterling's goal, the first one, and the third one. With Sterling's goal, the ball actually didn't deflect in a kind of from left to right. So it wasn't like it left the goalkeeper flat-footed and went the other side. It loops up a little bit. Uh, and the goalkeeper uh, he already committed himself. He's on the ground. And it's a, he just looped up f- from the bouncing off of the defender's leg. Just looped up enough to, to go over him. Whereas with, with David Silvers for the third goal, uh, he was trying to cross it. I don't think it was a very good cross, actually, because it didn't look like it was going to any City player at the, at, at the angle I saw. But it caught that the, 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 the Preston defender, Ledson, just put his leg out and uh, it flew. It, it was going away from the goal and it obviously flew past the keeper into the net. So that's an own goal because David Silvers' shot, original cross, wasn't going anywhere near the goal, whereas Sterling's shot was. Okay, so you've cleared that up for us. That's a, you called that a rule of thumb. I think they do have something called the dubious goals panel, Colin, don't they, to make decisions on things like this. But uh, yeah, there we go, 3-0 at half time, And uh, yeah, it was. It seemed very much game over. Uh, Ray, did you feel much threat from Preston at any stage during the game? Very little sustained threat. Occasionally you'd think they might try and get on the break. Although they did have some nice passing moves, I think most of their opportunities were coming from uh, long balls. Uh, I think that's one of the issues for Angelino uh, in defence is I don't think he's uh, that tall and uh, I don't think he's that fast uh, or fast enough for some of the zippy, nippy wingers out there. So he can be beaten in the air. It's, It's interesting that uh, when when Delph has played at left back, when Zinchenko's played at left back, when Angelino's played at left back, and occasionally Mendy, they're all out of position at times. And with the ball that's going, usually uh, last season it was crossfield, uh, but ones that drop over their heads, and you can, they can be out of position. Since everybody's out of position, you, it's got me to think that it's maybe it's it's just because of the way we're set up. We're set up to attack, and so that's maybe why. They're on the front foot and sometimes it can be caught out. So there was a fella called Barkhazen. He was winning a few balls, I think, in the centre of the park with his head just because he's big and strong. And even Taylor Howard Bellis was trying to get in front of him. I think once he got a little bit too tight, but I think you can forgive and got turned very easily, but you can forgive a 17-year-old one one error in, in, in a 90 minutes of a game. A little bit of um, excitement from uh, was it? Is it Josh Harrop, the ex-United uh, kid? 
when you watched him, he had a little bit of quality. Um, and I think in the second half, he hit the post as well. So he had a little bit of excitement and quality um, in him. Guys, we've got some interesting substitutions in the second half. The first one being Benjamin Mendy. And uh, he came on in the 60th minute. How did he work out for you, Ray? Um, I think he's still very rusty. Looking at the last two games he's been involved with, he just needs a little bit more time. And he's not played a lot. Let's be honest, in the last two years, he played about 17 games for City. I, I just think his crossing... His crossing's been what I've been waiting for. Really excited because, the, you know, last season, I think he had, was it five or six assists in about as many games in the league? And um, his crossing's tremendous. But it, it seemed like, um, on the whole, I, I think his crossing was average. Uh, and, and that's one of his, apart from his marauding runs down the wing, that's one of his uh, biggest strengths is, are those crosses. And so I was disappointed because I was expecting more. But as I said, he, look, he's played 45 minutes on, on Saturday and uh, about 20 minutes or a little bit more than 20, 30 minutes uh, yesterday. And his last game was, last full game was back in October or November. So, you know, it's almost a year ago. So he's got to slowly get back into it. And I don't think we can read too much in, in into his last two games, his last two performances. And for me, the main thing is he's getting through these games uh, and coming through them without... Uh, seemingly without any problems yeah absolutely i mean it's just good to see him just a little step by little step getting back into the action colin savage some people have cheekily suggested that zinchenko is uh maybe the third choice left back now because angelino's crossing is so good where do you see zinchenko his role in the future will he finally get his chance do you think to um to maybe be one of the eights or one of the more attacking midfielders why not because we saw it last so, game last game yeah um, and and Jinchenko moved up to into midfield fairly seamlessly. I mean that that is is his position, and he's always really done well there when he plays for the Ukraine. You know, very dominant figure in midfield. And if you if you think you know we we've got Bernardo tends to play out on the wing. I don't, I'm not sure that's his best position, but he's playing out on the wing. You know, David Silva we know is in his last season. Gundogan doesn't necessarily combine as well with as an attacking midfield player as he does with a as he plays as a, a number six. So I I you know I think there are opportunities there for obviously Kevin De Bruyne. Is um, the number one choice, but I think there are potential opportunities there for Zinchenko in midfield. Yeah, we're fairly stacked in that position. One person that uh, I mentioned before, everyone has been clamouring for, although of course he has been a little bit ill, but he's been back. It's Phil Foden, right now. Of course, as you mentioned before, he's returning from a little bit of an illness. He had uh, one pretty stunning shot that cannoned off the crossbar. Uh, what did you think of uh, how he got on and uh, how he pressed his case, basically to? to be more prominent in Pep's plans? If, if I can be quite honest, in the first 15 minutes, I actually didn't realise he was playing. <laughs> first uh, 45 that, minutes for me, actually. Well, that's yeah. it. He, he, he didn't really get into it. Now, you know, and he looks, he, it seemed he was a little bit subdued. And maybe that's just because you know, if you've got a virus, you know, you, you can't give 100%. You can, you, well, you can give 100% of what you've got left, um, what you're able to do. And, and I think he, he probably tried his best. But you know you, you're going to be if you're off colour, you can be off your game as well. And uh, I don't think he pressed his claims for a for a start. But I'd, you know I, I think they, they will take that into, uh, obviously into consideration. The, the guy's not, I don't think, fully fit from from the from the virus. And it depends on the you know severity of the virus. When I many years ago, when I used to do athletics, we used to uh, the coaches used to say, um, you know, if you Training hard, running hard with a the virus or with an infection, they'd actually say, "Don't train, please, don't train," because it will affect you for a few weeks. 
and you'll be training below par for a few weeks. So you're better off resting and recovering um, than coming back too soon because I, I was always keen to come back too soon. So obviously the, the, the City medical uh, team uh, way more clued up than uh, you or I. So, you know, you'd assume that um, it was, Fordham was well enough to, to actually play the game. Um, but yeah, he, he had a, for me, he had a quiet night. Mm. Continuing on our sort of little player focus uh, deal here, uh, Colin, what did you think about uh, Gabriel Jesus? Um, yeah, it was interesting, actually. It was, a, it was a bit of a curious egg. I thought it was a bit of a curious egg of a mm. performance from him. I, I, I've said this before. He gives us things that Aguero doesn't. So his work rate, his ability to you know, win a ball and, and, and scrap for a ball is something that Aguero doesn't do. Let's be honest. As good as Aguero is uh, in what he does, um, Debbie Jesus gives us a lot. And, and he looked, certainly in the first half, he looked to be full of confidence, full of running. He got that um, really good goal. Um, he should have had a second, yeah. which I think was wrongly ruled out, wasn't it? Uh, it didn't look, he didn't look offside from where we were. Um, I, I said to Dennis, who was sat next to me, yeah, I didn't look offside to me, and he, it turns out he wasn't. So, uh, so that first half, he was actually excellent. He was really involved. The second half, I, I think the whole level of performance generally across the team dropped off in the second half. But because we saw the attack more down our end, if we were attacking the goal, we were we was kind of behind. And um, there was a couple of headers he should have got that he missed, didn't get the well, should have got, should have scored from and didn't. He just looked a little bit more at sea in the second half. Um, and I think you could see it in his face, he wasn't happy with his own performance in that second half. But so, so in the first half, he was great, but he never gives up. But in the second half, to me, he looked, his body language looked a bit um, as though he kind of, I don't know, his mind had wandered, basically, is the best way I can put it. The, the, pro- the problem with Gabby Jesus is, I mean, for all the hard work he does and, and sometimes some great finishing, um, like that uh, off, the goal that was short off for offside, he lifted that really nicely over the keeper. And uh, it would have been a very, very nice goal. Um, but he also makes, for me, far too many um, errors. Um, you know, later on in the game, he had uh, that header that he just totally mistimed. It seems yeah. to be the back of the head rather than the forehead. Um, he had a great... Ch- and he wasn't bit. under any pressure for that. Yeah, there, it was. It was just needed to be hit on target. I hit it down, it's a goal. Um, and then he had one in injury time at the end of the game where he was about eight or ten yards out and he hit it straight at the keeper. Um, other times where I think he had a... Um, in the first half, after about 20 minutes, he had a gr- great opportunity to put Forden in and he just hit the ball too hard. Uh, other times, in the second half, a poor cross. So... He, like like Colin said, he's he's a mixed bag. He'll do some great stuff, some hard work, some great running. He'll score some really nice goals, and then he'll miss something dead easy, and it, that it, so it frustrates me. He's only twenty two; he's still got uh, plenty of time ahead of him. But for me, I, I want him to be. If he wants to challenge Aguero, he has to be more deadly. Has to be more clinical. Um, you know, last night he should have had a hat trick, in my opinion. He should have scored the three goals. And to put pressure on Aguero because, as Colin says, he's, he offers things that Aguero doesn't. But then again, Aguero offers things that Gabby doesn't. And, and, and uh, Aguero, his currency that he deals in is goals. And I just think, you know, over a, over a season, if, if, if you had them both, you know, playing, Aguero would score more goals. Simple as that. 
Colin, another interesting little substitution um, on the 63rd minute. David Silva, of course, as you say, um, on really just to, to help the, the, the young players settle a little bit was uh, Adrian Bernabe, um someone that I thought might get a start. Um, but anyway, only comes in the 63rd minute. A little bit of a subdued performance from him, perhaps. Yeah, I've been impressed when I've seen him before. He looks full of running and, and full of invention and confidence. He'll take a take him on. Um, in some ways, um, he, he's a bit David Silver like because he, he, you know, he has this ability to twist and turn and tie defenders in knots. But yeah, he had a very quiet. Didn't see much from him. But I mean, the game was. That's what I said. The game was won. The game was won. Because funny enough, in the first half, I, I, we, we're laughing and saying, "I'd rather go in one nil up." And we know we've still got a job to do because the danger is if we're going two nil up, um, you know, there's a chance we'll sit back and relax, and Preston will get a quick could get a quick goal and etc. etc. Because we went in three nil up, and you know you couldn't see Preston coming back from that with the best will in the world. And um, I think that probably, I think that second half performance was more about um, containment than than trying to win the game, even you know, trying to get an, another six goals or something. Yeah, I think there's a very good choice of word. Ray, just uh, returning for a moment to someone we briefly we briefly mentioned earlier on was Cancelo. I think this is his first full 90 minutes, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, so um, run the rule over him, Ray. He seems to be living up to his uh, reputation, perhaps not in this particular game, more in his cameos, that he is a He's a bit of a weapon going forward. Um, how did you feel that he uh, worked out? Very slick, nice passing. Yeah, I mean, I, he didn't, for me, didn't... One of the issues was, like Colin said, the second half was kind of... Um, well, the game was done and dusted. And, you know, I, I felt this last season as well. Once we, we start playing every three and three or four days, um, we can get a couple of goals up and uh, we're not really busting a gut to score more goals. We conserve our energy. We don't need to. Maybe in league games, we might push on to score a few more goals to help our goal difference. Um, and uh, someone should tell, was it Oliver Holt, that goal difference actually makes a difference? Yeah. You know, can, can you imagine uh, in the season we beat United 6-1 at their place uh, and we won the league on goal difference? If we'd said, oh, well, it's 2-0, uh, we'll, we'll stop now because it's disrespectful to our neighbours uh, from out of town to score more than two goals. And and we've lost the the league title on that. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, sometimes these journalists feel uh, that they've got the finger on the pulse. Uh, well, uh, Ray, listen. Uh, <laughs> let, let's move over to Colin and, and get his comments on what we talked about uh, the pair of us a little bit uh, uh, in a, in an earlier pod. The only person we really haven't focused on to any extent at all, really, is. Bernardo Silva, Colin Savage, was that the performance of a man who's a bit uh, put out by being accused of being a racist? Well, I, I don't think Bernardo's had the sort of season we expected he would have so far. He's been very, very quiet. You've not, you know, he's done bits in games. He's been solid, but he's not been spectacular by any stretch of the imagination. And, and people find, I know people are asking the question, what's happened to the Bernardo we saw last season? So I, I don't, I don't think the kind of the events of the last few days off the field have had a great deal of impact. But I think last um, last night I, I, I was um, encouraged by his performance. Um, 
it, it wasn't a spectacular performance. It wasn't like the Bernardo we saw last season was back. But there were definitely more signs that um, he, he was kind of bursting into life, hopefully. But yeah, I mean, this is a bit of a, I don't know. I mean, in this, it's a very difficult one, isn't it? Because um, in this day and age, you've, you've got to be careful. What, you know, we're, we're much more sensitive and of to course, people's uh, sensibilities. You're very well aware and, of that, Colin, from when you made a crack on Twitter about women drivers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, um, yeah, so I, but sensibilities have changed, haven't they? And we have to respect that, I think. But uh, we also have to recognise, perhaps, that other people, the cultures, aren't quite into the the, the liberal woke mindset that that, that people in, in in the UK are. And um, I think it was probably an it, well, it was an ill-advised tweet to put out publicly. If you want to send it to him on you know WhatsApp uh, privately, that that wouldn't have been any problem, I guess. Uh, and I'm still not sure. I've I've kind of kept out of this. Because I'm, I'm still wasn't sure what my position was, but I think I tend to agree with the people that said just because Mendy is not offended by it doesn't mean it's not it wasn't the wrong thing to do. I like the comments from John Barnes. John Barnes just come out and said it's not racist. Um, now whether you agree with him or not, at least he's you could argue he's coming it from coming at it from a uh, the position of someone who's been racially abused a, a footballer for many many years. Uh, throughout the 80s, uh, and he's, he's taken a lot of like, and he's actually, uh, I feel, a very good, um, sensible voice uh, overall uh, talking about racism, and he just basically said, for him, no, it's not racist. We need to be very, very careful. Now, guys, um, just before we close down this particular uh, discussion on this game, just a little opportunity, if there are, were anything else in those uh, extensive notes that the pair of you uh, always take on these games. I mean, I'm sure uh, Colin wasn't at it because he was at the game. I'm sure he wasn't watching and taking notes of like like Mourinho or anybody. But <laughs> I, is, is I there... tried to do that once or twice. It's very difficult. Yeah, you, I'm sure you get a bit of abuse for that. Actually, <laughs> you're doing that at uh, at, uh, at live games. But um, any other incidents or, or or things that you'd like to mention that stood out in this game, or or are we done with this? There was one nice thing last night because um, the Preston fans were great. And they applauded Raheem Sterling off when he was substituted on 73 minutes. Uh, but he had a really good game. And it was n- nice to see that, you know, a group of opposition fans weren't booing him because everyone else boos him. So, so yeah. well well played to the Preston fans. Well, I've, got to, I've got to say that the City fans were, were great. Um, I mean, if you're watching it uh, on, on telly or, or watching the highlights, you could really hear the City fans. And it's, yeah. a, funny old, it's a funny old thing. There's one Preston fan said they were, the City fans were the loudest fans that had been to Deepdale in many a year. And other Preston, another Preston fan said we were the worst fans. So wow. it, I, I, don't, I think some people just do it for the reaction. And uh, the, the, the second one who said, you know, we, he couldn't hear the City fans. I mean, he must have had uh, cloth ears or something because yeah. the City fans, they were very, very loud. I mean, you could hear lots of the songs. Uh, throughout the game and most of the singing seemed to be coming from City fans Guys, hard upon that result coming through, we got the fourth round draw in full, let me just remind uh, you guys out there as if you don't already know, here's the lineup for the fourth round draw, Everton against Watford, Villa against Wolves City against Southampton at home, Burton against Leicester Crawley against Colchester Chelsea against Manchester United should be interesting, 
Oxford Sunderland, and finally Liverpool Arsenal. A few tasty draws in there, Colin Savage. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I think there was a last season's League Cup or even the FA Cup. There weren't too many great draws, were there? If I remember rightly, but there, there's some crackers in there, and some you know Villa Wolves is a great one. Everton Watford is a very um, you know two teams struggling a little, struggling a little bit the at Marco the moment. Silver, the Marco Silva derby. The Marco Silva derby. Yes, oh, yes. You know, so, I tell yeah, you what, that connection. But, uh, there's some cr- absolute cracking size, and the one that should be on telly will be uh, top of the trees. That Crawley versus Colchester for me. Yeah, our semi-final opponents is, are coming from that game. Yeah, I hope so. No, I've got to say something about TV, and we we know it happens all the time. But who was on telly tonight? Was it Man United? Were they on TV? Man United versus Rochdale. I, I watched it. I don't know whether it was. I suppose I shouldn't shouldn't say this, but <laughs> it was a prominent game. But to be honest, you'd have thought a team riding high in the championship against the holders of the, yeah. the League Cup and the domestic treble and a team riding high, scoring goals for fun in the Premier League would be a mouth-watering tie rather than a yeah, team and a, f- a full house as well. There, I, I think to defend the broadcasters there, Ray, they were thinking maybe that uh, this United tie had the potential to be an enormous um, banana skin and so they, they wanted to get in on the, on the, on the blood fest that might possibly happen. They nearly got it too, didn't they? Well, they did get I mean, it, United, didn't they? Yeah. It's a bit of rubbish. I mean, I, it, it saddens me to say that. <laughs> United are rubbish. It doesn't sadden you at all, Ray. And in fact, actually, <laughs> well, one thing but, that was great on Twitter was Mark Goldbridge again. This guy cracks me up. I mean, him um, reacting to the, the equaliser from uh, a 16-year-old guy. He was going, this guy isn't old enough to drive a car. He isn't old enough to vote. He'd have to get someone to buy his drinks for him and he scored against us. We are terrible. It's wonderful to watch, isn't it? I, I, t- I tell you what, I was listening to the penalty sh- uh, shootout on the radio as I was driving and I was thinking, right, I'm going to have to pull over uh, um, if United lose. I'm going to have to find a service station somewhere and pull over. And obviously, I've got to send some tweets out if United, if United actually lose this game. And uh, sadly, they they prevailed and uh, it's a snuck home. But um, it would have been it would have been a cracking another cracking night. I mean, last night was great with Spurs getting beat. It would have been another cracking night if um, United had got beat tonight. Liverpool against Arsenal—that's a bit uh, a bit interesting uh, there, Colin. How do you think that might go? Will it be they'll, they'll just try to basically put out very very young teams, and then b- both will will write it off if they don't get through? Probably, yeah. Um... Don't know. Be interesting. I mean, Liverpool is the last day of the League Cup. Uh, Arsenal aren't firing on all cylinders at the moment in any way, shape, or form. I mean, if I was Jurgen Klopp, I'm thinking, you know, I've got maybe a couple, you know, a couple of games uh, to to get another pot potentially. Uh, You know, I'd be taking, I'd be taking that chance. I think the issue for Liverpool would be that they're going to end up with a lot of games um, with with this World Club Championship. You know, if, if if as they should be doing, they should. I mean, they should be winning that. Let's be let's be uh, brutally honest. They, they might just say, well, you know, we'll play with the kid, kids um, because they can ill afford to to use a lot of their best players in, in difficult, what could be difficult games. Um, they just can't do it. But I don't know how many games they play in the World Club Championship with early December. Maybe they just think, let's get out, let's get out of this competition, and they'll put another team 
similar to the one they put. I mean, the the thing is, the quarterfinals of this. So if they beat Arsenal in the um, next games, that's the end of October. Quarterfinals are in December. Got it the week commencing the 16th of December, which is when the World Club Cup is on. Well, who can? Who cares about what they do? Let's, t- let's talk about yeah, our, yeah. our let's talk about our our draw, uh, Colin Savage. Uh, Southampton, um, we're playing them at home in the next round. What do you reckon of that one? Well, you expect us to win it, wouldn't you? Really? I can't see Southampton putting out a strong team because their focus is staying in the uh, staying in the division. You know, we're we're talking about a, a game in only four weeks' time, so I think they'll put out a, a, a much weakened side. Um, we can play a similar side to what we played yesterday. We should be looking at getting through. I think that's one of the, the weaknesses of especially this competition, uh, less so the FA Cup, um, is that teams will put when when you know if a half decent uh, side has to play City, they'll put uh, such a weakened team. You look at some of the, the um, you know the matches today, and you, you've got ten changes, eleven changes, nine changes, whatever it is. And if teams are up against City, they say, well, what's the point? You know. We'll put out um, a really weakened team. Even Preston didn't play their strongest team yesterday. They're saving their players for bigger battles, more important battles. Uh, and so that actually really does weaken uh, the competition. It's great for City because we can get deep into a competition uh, playing a, a team like we played last night. And then you know, come the semi-final or final, we can put out a much stronger team, um, one or two games to win, win a trophy. Well, you look at you know you look at the draw. You've got Crawley, Colchester. So one of those is going to go through. Oxford, Sunderland. One of those is going to go through. Leicester got to go to Burton. Who've got a bit of a, a habit of uh, giant killing. So um, you know, if we got the winners of Everton, Watford, you wouldn't be too worried, would you, in the next round? But you know, it, it could be we could get. There's a nice easy route to the to the cup again. Here. Yeah. Yeah, guys, uh, something came up, uh, of course, uh, in the news this week that I think may possibly have piqued uh, Colin Savage's interest, and that were, was the uh, financial results issued by um, by Manchester United. Uh, very interesting. Uh, Colin, what were your thoughts? Um, yeah, well, it was, it, the interesting thing for me was um, not this year's, well, or last year's results, the, the ones they announced, because our revenue had gone up, you know, 600 and what was it, 20 million, and yeah. uh, net profit was 27 million, and, uh, you know, uh, they generated quite a lot of cash. So on the surface, it looked a good set of results, but the, the wages were up to something like 330 million. Um, and that, that, that net profit was almost entirely due to um, transfer profits. So, so, you know, despite the 620 million turnover, they're still breaking even on normal operations. So where the money's going? Well, it's going to the Glazers, possibly. But <laughs> for me, for me, the biggest thing, the biggest thing was when they predict, predict their current year results. And they're now saying, because they're not in the Champions League, their revenue is going to drop because of that down to somewhere between 560 and 580 million, which is still a hell of a, hell of a lot of money. I, I, I didn't see what they said for the, for the kind of 2021 season, but it, it, but if they're talking about 560 to 580 million in this current financial year to, to, to next to June 2020, that, that's really interesting because City are probably about to announce their results and we will come in around the 560 million mark. I believe, and um, I was talking to a, a guy, um, a, a publication called Off the Pitch, uh, which has recently launched uh, the Danish guys, uh, and Jens 
uh, done a very good analysis of City's potential results. And him and I were only a few million apart on the estimate. Uh, so we're looking at probably safe to look at City turning over at least 560 million this year. Well, compared to United, 620 million. So you think we're still 60 million short. But then we've got the Puma deal kicking in in this current financial year. So that's worth what? That's worth probably an extra 30 million. The uh, Premier League um, deal has been um, in a new three year cycle. So that's probably going to be worth another, I don't know, 30 million. So we're probably looking at 60 million minimum on top of the 560 million we're going to be reporting for 2018. So that, that puts us somewhere in, in around the 615, 620 million mark against United's 560 to 580 million in 2020, the current financial year. So for, for the first time in God knows how long, we are going to be outperforming them off the field as well as on it. And that is going to be a big hammer blow. I think that's that's the share price actually is interesting. In the last year, their share price is down by nearly thirty percent, which is a <laughs> yeah, it's a hell of a lot. Yeah, and and, and you still say, funny, I still read the analysts, uh, you know, the stock market analysts, and they're saying, oh, you know, there's, there's um, we're looking at a target of twenty dollars, and you're thinking, do these guys not understand the revenue model? Because if they the chances are United are not going to get, unless they win the Europa League, of course, I don't think they're going to get the Champions League this season. And the interesting thing is they've not been out of the Champions League for two consecutive seasons since they, you know, since Ferguson, they started winning the Champions League in the 90s. And it went to it went to four teams. So, so they've never been out of that for two consecutive well, I don't think they were ever out of it under Ferguson, were they? Uh, every time they've kind of fallen, when Moyes, they finished seventh. So they spent a season in the Europa League, but then they, you know they got back in the next season and they dropped out. They got back in and when it looked as though they weren't, when they finished, even when they finished sixth, they won the Europa League uh, and they qualified by the back door. But this season, there's every possibility they may be facing a second consecutive season out of the Champions League. And not only does the, the, do they not get the, the CL revenue, we can see from the forecasts that they could drop about six, fifty to sixty million because of that. They're going to start losing sponsorship money because the, I think there's clauses in some of the contracts that if they're not in the Champions League for two seasons running, then certainly Adidas. I, I think not, they lose 15 million from Adidas. Yeah, so 15, 20 million, something like that. Uh, and maybe Chevrolet, I don't know, the, the shirt sponsors. Uh, you know, they have the ability to claw back some of the money. So if they're talking about 560 million for the current financial year to 2020, and they don't get in the uh, you, they don't get in the Champions League. They, they don't get very far in the Europa League. You could be looking at five hundred you know forty million, five hundred and thirty million the season after. And, and and their wage bill, which has always been high, but uh, a relatively low proportion of the of the turnover, around or under fifty percent. Suddenly, that's getting to sixty sixty five percent of turnover. And um, and the two choices they either maintain the wage bill at the lo- level it is and, and try and get back into that top four, but that eats up cash, or they try and cut their cloth according to where they are, which is basically a, a, an upper mid table team. I know a top seven team, maybe a top eight team, uh, and and start cutting back the high earners uh, and, and start bringing through the younger players or getting um, buying cheaper players who pay for less money. It's very interesting because we're overtaking them financially now. and It could potentially be the start of a little bit of a slow spiral for them if they're not careful. Something that also popped up, uh, Ray, I don't know if you noticed this, but um, rumours afoot of a new sponsorship deal for Liverpool. Astronomical figures being quoted there. 
And uh, there seemed to be a little bit of a, a response to this and uh, even threats of legal action from some of the or one of the sponsors that uh, they already have. I think it was the um, New Balance. New Balance, that's so, the one. Yeah. yeah. What's the issue there, Colin? It's interesting because New Balance are actually a Boston company. Uh, and, and they had no presence in, in football, starker, as they call it, until they got this big deal with Liverpool. Now, of course, I, I suspect that the owners of FSG and the owners of New Balance know each other very well. And, and while they paid handsomely for that Liverpool deal, you could also see it as um, mates doing their mates a favour, getting them in that lucrative football market. Because uh, previously, they've been a very uh, niche market, lacrosse, hockey, um, ice hockey um, markets like that, not not global mass markets. Of course, break it into the football market. You, you now see the name um, New Balance, and say, and they had been boot and uh, equipment manufacturers rather than shirt manufacturers. So, so, so that deal into Liverpool gave them a big leg up into the market. What was built into the contract was, um, I think, what they call an existing rights clause. So basically, if if a, if Company A hold the contract and they're paying thirty million a year, Company B come along and say we'll give you fifty million a year. Then Liverpool, well, Liverpool have got to go to New Balance. In we don't know what the contract's like, and say, look, guys, um, Nike or whoever, Adidas have offered us fifty million a year. You're paying us thirty million a year. You, you, we've got to tell you, you've got the right to match that. Now, I was reading an article, a couple of articles earlier on. And they were written by lawyers, so they were unintelligible, largely. But uh, one actually wasn't too bad. It was something that approximated to English. Uh, and it said, you've got to be careful how you do these deals, because what was key is not not the fact that you give the, the existing sponsor or kit manufacturer exclusive rights, uh, because you can do that in a number of ways. You can give them an exclusive window to say, OK, um, you've got first refusal on the, on this deal, but if you don't come back to us within a month, we're uh, we're going out to market, or you can you can give them this exclusive rights deal where they've got to be informed of any competing bids. Now, of course, unless you're very careful, you can get locked into a spiral. So, so you've got New Balance paying Liverpool say thirty million a year. Uh, Nike come along and say we'll pay you forty million a year. New Balance then said okay, we'll match that. Nike come along and say we'll give you fifty million a year. You've got to be careful how you manage that, from what I gather from the lawyers. So um, without knowing the details of the contract, it, it would appear that New Balance are taking Liverpool to court because they don't think that Liverpool have adhered to the con- or that, what they believe the contract says. Uh, but don't, we don't quite know the details of that at the moment without knowing the details of the contract. We don't really know the details of um, New Balance argue- argument, but it'd be nice to see Liverpool. Well, um, they should be in court anyway for, for what they've done to us. But um Let's hope it. Let's hope it actually gets to court and we can uh, see some juicy numbers. <laughs> well, guys, uh, just to finish off, I'm just going to ask you if you if if there if there are any other things in the wider world of football and around that uh, has caught your attention. Well, of course, if, there's this Liverpool hacking thing. I don't know if Ray wants to talk well, about I, that. Well, yeah, we I've definitely need to speak about that. The conversation. Well, it's, it's, it's a funny thing. It, it, the, the story, the initial part of the story, that the. the access um, to the city database, that's not new news. That was old news. Um, I mean, that was reported back in the day. I think the the new part of it is the fact that Liverpool paid City some sort of settlement, let's call it, of a million pounds. Um, And um, 
you, you get some some idiots, sadly. But that's what social media is full of them. Um, usually, the, the tribal nature of uh, football fans. So you got some Liverpool fans saying, "Well, it's City's fault for not closing down the loophole or not, you know, uh, closing down their access to these accounts." And then you get City fans turning around and say, "Well, you know, if I leave my front door open and someone comes and robs me, is that is that only my fault? What about the guy who's doing who's doing the stealing?" Now, Ray, just um, to, just to, just to fill in a little background here, I think the details of the story are that back a few years ago, Liverpool started poaching members of the the City uh, backroom staff, and uh, these guys, when they went to Liverpool, they still had uh, live um, passwords. And uh, the the allegation is, of course, that they use these passwords to get in to the city software and basically uh, steal a few ideas. Was it possible this went to quiet arbitration and they settled it that way? I'm not exactly sure. Um, I think Colin will have an idea as well. But I think the the problem for City was if you take them to court, what you have to quantify your loss and how how can you say what your loss was? Now I thought there were uh, uh, scouts as well involved. And this was part of the city scouting network, um, as part of some of the information they were, they had access to. And how can you quantify your loss? It's very, it's, it's not very easy. And, but you can embarrass Liverpool a lot by going to court because in effect, I mean, maybe my terminology might not be right, but these guys are thieving crooks, uh, because, uh, they knew what they were doing was wrong and they were employees of Liverpool Football Club. So, um, maybe it was, I don't know what, what you call it, hush money. Um, but it, it would have been extremely embarrassing if that had gone to court, even if City couldn't get any money out of it, to show how many times you can do so, occasionally you can do something by accident. But if you go, if you dip into the well again and again and again, it's surely no accident. You're deliberately doing something that's, that you know is wrong. Um, and as I said, it doesn't look good for employees of Liverpool to be going around stealing information uh, from an ex-employer. Well, I think it's, it's slightly worse than that because um, the pressure that's being put about or, or some people have taken is that they use their own old passwords and logins and that City were partly at fault because obviously the first thing you do when someone leaves a company is you take the login away, you know. But it, it, it seems that they used an existing employee's login. So one of their ex-colleagues was still at City. They used their login. Because one of the guys was was more senior in the performance department, so uh, in the scouting or whatever the, you know, team it was. So it, it's slightly more serious than that, and I think there's, there's two sides to it. One is uh, in terms of you know have we lost anything, and, and it looks like we have to kind of hurry up a couple of deals. But of course, the other thing is that they've stolen intellectual capital potentially. You know, if we've done some scouting and they've just um, pull that off without doing the same thing, then, then it, it's a kind of theft. Uh, but the third side, it's a criminal offence because there's something... I, I've done quite a bit of work on uh, data privacy in the past, and um, there's all sorts of uh, uh, laws on the books, and one is, I think, called the uh, Misuse of Computer Act, yeah. Computers Act, or Computer Misuse Act. Uh, and there's various categories of offence in there. So, so, so kind of the lowest level is unauthorised access to a system. Even if you don't do anything, that is, is in itself an offence if you're not authorised. So, you know, when you log on to to a corporate system, you'll you'll probably see. Uh, please note, it's um, it, it's a criminal. It's an offence to 
go any further unless you're authorized to do so. You know, worse to that effect. So that's the lowest level of, of offence, but it's still a criminal offence. Uh, but you've got to prove that the uh, perpetrator intended to do it. So, so, you know, did they do it by accident? But then there's a second level of offence, which I think is to do with either committing a further offence or with intent to commit a further offence. Um, so basically, if you're if you're stealing industrial secrets, for example, that 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 would come under that category. And then the the third and most serious category is altering data or deleting it. So going to a, a system where you're not authorized to do so, and deleting data when you're not authorized to do so, or or you know, changing data in some way. So so we don't exactly know what happened. I, the story, as I understand it, is we. We were concerned that someone was accessing the system when they shouldn't have been. So, of course, um, I have some knowledge of the city um, IT system because I'm on the internal email list in City Matters. And I had a bit of a problem with it um, a couple of weeks back. Um, it was trying to put the wrong – I was trying to use the wrong password or my, um, my, my, my password management software was trying to use the wrong password. So I had a few attempts to log in unsuccessfully. Then I sorted it out. And I got a call from one of the guys at the city to say, we're just checking everything's okay because we've noticed you've tried to log in a few times and failed. So they're pretty on the ball. They noticed me just logging into an email server um, and, and they come back to me and say, what's going on? So, but if someone's kind of, you know, if someone's logging in through the night or something and they're not in, you know, they're not in work, you tend to get a bit suspicious. So for what I gather, city called in experts and they identified over a hundred unauthorized accesses to the system when the person who was I, I, either they used uh, old logins but more likely they've used an existing employee login so i don't think there's anything deficient in city's procedures in in, in that case although you know you look at the uh, the, the wider football leagues hacking you think well were we as secure as we should have been but that's another matter but it, it seems they noticed unusual activity anyway on this database and it, it's part of the opta setup uh, scout seven it's called I'm not quite sure whether you get your own customized version of it or it kind of lives in the cloud and everyone has their own little partition. So, so you know, you put your scout or, or there is certain common scouting data up there. So you can ask, access the, the core data on that system. But then there's a, an ability to do something that you want to do. You want to customize your own bit of the system. And I'm not quite sure whether it sits on physically sits. You buy it and it sits on your servers or you've just got access to a uh, a segregated section of it on on a, on a cloud server. So basically, the server shared with other. You've got your own partition element, and that should be that's kept secure. So so I say they haven't noticed some unusual activity. They traced it back. Now it, it, it's interesting. Why didn't City do anything at the time? Anything more overt at the time? And you think we don't know unless City come out and say. I, I, I strongly suspect this leak has come from City. And the interesting thing is, it's gone to Martin Ziegler, who has been one of the most vocal in the last few months um, in terms of the anti-City agenda. So that's a real weird one. But if it is City, and, and kind of Vicky Kloss has masterminded this, it's a real masterstroke because it's it, it's kind of given a story to one of the key players in the seemingly one of the key players in the game against us. So so it's you know it's, it's brought them on side in some way. I don't, but but that's just pure speculation. But yeah, so you know, did City approach Liverpool? Did City approach the police? Because you know, City were entitled to go to the police and, and report it as a potential criminal offence. Did the police say, um, you know, we're not really interested in this? 
did the Premier League put pressure on? Did City go to the Premier League? Uh, although the Premier League are denying they knew anything about this. Well, but, but did City go to them quietly and say, look, this is happening? Uh, and the Premier League said, oh, God, you know, don't do anything. Don't, you know, uh, let, let's keep our arguments behind closed doors. So, so something's happened, obviously. Uh, but whether it's because we've not been able to pursue an overt legal solution or we've chosen not to, we've ended up being paid a million pounds. And of course, that will be subject to a confidentiality clause. So typically, if you sign, um, uh, I forget what they call it, um, an agreement, a termination agreement when you leave a company voluntarily. One million pounds seems a little bit cheap, Colin, um, for the potential... But it depends what you could get out of it. It's almost like, you know, it's like punitive damages. What, you know, what loss have you suffered? And as Ray said, how can we quantify or prove what loss we've actually suffered? Have they... It seems to be more about stealing intellectual capital if, if they've done that, if we can prove they've done that. And again, as Ray said, the burden is you, you've got to prove it. The burden in the case is you've got to put your case. So, um, you know, perhaps to take it to court or take it further, perhaps the police have said this isn't going to this isn't going to run. But it's very difficult to, to, to bring one of these cases home. Well, guys, um, we will keep our beady little eyes on that situation as it unfolds. Just to finish off with, Colin, tell us about our next opponents and uh, the, the prospects for that game. Well, it's Everton, of course, uh, and Goodison, which is um, always a tough game. It always used to be a tough game, but um, certainly we took a, a battering there in Pep's first season, didn't we? But the last two seasons, um, we've done OK. So. Um, 2016-17, we had a, a quite a, uh, an easy win there. Last season, we, it was a little bit more difficult. In fact, the, the Everton played very well last season. It was like watching the Everton of David Moyes. You know, they were running and chasing and harrying us and making life difficult for us. Um, and we got two, two goals right at the end of the first half, then almost at the end of the second half, uh, uh, Gabriel Jesus and, and Laporte. Paul won't be scoring a goal there this season, but... Um, yeah, it was a tough game last season, but of course, they're, they're, I don't know, they're having a funny season, aren't they? They can't buy a win away from home. I'm not sure how long it is since they won a game away from home, and, and they've even won a, lost a few at home, but um, um, you, you never know with Everton, and they, seem, they certainly seem to raise the game for us, so it'll be a bit of a nerve-wracking one. But, I mean, saying this last night, um, going, going to the ground, I was talking to a Preston fan walking up to the ground, and... and what was laughing? He said, "How many are you going to put past us tonight?" I said, "I'm worried about this one." I said, "You know, you're doing well at the top of the championship, and you want to prove a point, and we'll have probably a weakened team out, and uh, you know, we, we, we've got our eyes on you know Champions League and, and, and the Premier League, and you know, I think you're going to make life very difficult for us." And then, apart from 20 minutes, the first 20 minutes, then uh, until we scored the first goal, um, we were pretty well in control of that game, and I think possibly. It's starting to dawn on us as fans that we're actually a very, very good team and um, you know, we shouldn't really be nervous. But then, of course, we're going to do something like Norwich and, and all the old insecurities come flooding back, don't they? Ray, what do you think about this uh, this uh, match-up in the next game? Do, does it feel would be a pot potentially a tricky fixture? Over the years, yeah, down the years, it's been a, tri uh, a tricky game for us. Uh, I mean, that was Moise's level and... Uh, you know, he he did pretty well at Everton, and uh, you know that got him helped to get him to move to Man United, where he was just out of his depth. And I think he's been generally out of his depth ever uh, ever since wherever he's been. So it's a tricky game. Silver Marco Silva is under pressure. He's under a lot of pressure. He spent a heck of a lot of money, bought players for 
prices that are ridiculous. I mean, they paid, the one that sticks in my mind, they paid, was it 50 million for Gilfie Sigurdsson? And they paid, was it 40 million for Richarlison? They paid lots of money for players um, and uh, they're just not doing it overall. Um, and Mark Silver's so definitely under pressure because Everton are probably, the fans are expecting them to do, they think we'll be pumped so much money in, we should be doing better than what we're doing. We should be actually challenging. They want to see them challenging for the top um, six. And it just feels like they're almost as far away as, as they were a few years ago. So he's under pressure. And, I, you know, the players are under pressure. The fans are on on the backs. Um, and I think they'll come out, they have to come out fighting on while Michael Silva's job's under even more scrutiny. And I think if we batter them, which is, you know, it can happen if we score that early goal or two, then could he lose his job this weekend? Uh, it sounds crazy, but it, it could happen. Yeah, that, so that's the game, guys, uh, on Saturday at 5.30, away, of course, at uh, Goodison Park. Uh, Everton lying 14th. Uh, their top scorers, basically, three goals apiece. Uh, Richarlison, and they've got uh, Iwobi sort of next on, on, on just the two goals. Yeah, they're been pretty underwhelming uh, this season, so City should be feeling confident, but again... It's an away time, uh, an away time at a team who can turn it on from time to time and got a good record of doing that against us. But we'll see how it goes. We'll be with you guys after that game uh, with the Bolt from the Blue podcast. So before we uh, just bid you farewell, we're just going to say thank you very much to our two regular contributors. First of all, Mr. Colin Savage. Thank you so much, Colin. It's a pleasure. And um, we'll speak uh, after the Everton game. Absolutely. And also to you, Ray Bubbles. How are, hope you've enjoyed it. And uh, you two guys going off to bed now. I wish that that was the case for me, but unfortunately... Oh, I'm not going to bed. I'm not going to bed. I, I've, got a, I've got a women's um, game to uh, do some editing for uh, the women's uh, Champions League game last night. I think we won, was it 4-0? Uh, 11-1 on aggregate. So... Uh, I've got that editing to do, and then I've, uh, I'm here in Paris. I've, I've got to I've got to work, so I'll be up about about four hours time uh, to start that. So um, you're not the only one, Mike. Don't worry. Well, thanks very much for uh, coming on, Ray, and it should be interesting for you. I've just been as we've been talking. Something that's just flashed up is a a great goal by Kira Walsh for the women. They're looking really really good this uh, this women's team, but I'm sure you'll enjoy that. So thanks very much, Ray, for coming on. It's finished at Sunderland. Manchester United have done all they can. That really goal was enough for three points. Manchester City is still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero.